Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. On this episode, I had a conversation with filmmaker, performance artist, and ex-painter, Sylvia Sudam. Um, this episode, like all episodes on this season, are sponsored by WeAreDapperTies.com. They have a whole vast array of ties, different colors, different styles. Uh, you can go to WeAreDapperTies.com, check out what they've got. If you pick some out, uh, one or two or five or however many ties you need, um, at checkout, if you put in promo code TRUTH, uh, you will get free shipping in the continental United States. So we thank them for their sponsorship. Um, this conversation uh, with Sylvia was at White Heron in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where I recorded a few of these. So, you know, the, the audio in the back is a little hustle bustle, as is sort of the nature of recording at a, a, a busy coffee shop. Um, Sylvia is someone that, uh, she, you know, she's involved with Wrong Brain, which is an artist collective that I'm also involved with. And we had met at some meetings and group functions, but had never really sat down and chatted before. So um, I've had a few different episodes of this podcast like that, where I'm sitting down with someone for the first time, really, to have a chat. And I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, um, we talked about her performance art, uh, her her status as an ex-painter, and why that was a deliberate choice, and uh, some of the some of the traveling that she's done and some of the traveling that she's planning on doing. So um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Are you familiar with the five spot on Seacoast? Yeah, yeah. So have you done one of those? No, I haven't, personally. Um, a lot of my friends have. Yeah. Uh, so I got asked to do it a few years ago, and, you know, I, I, you know, I was honored to be asked. And the way they do it, though, is they kind of do a, a cattle call for the photos. We all go to Nate's house in, like, 10-minute increments and get photographed. And then... And Chris Hislop, the one who writes it, um, is, is a friend of mine as well. But I had always imagined interviews, even print interviews, as something like this, where it's two people face-to-face chatting. And it was, it was through email. I mean, it's fine. And I guess you can kind of think about your responses, how you, you know, clean up your grammar, yeah. present yourself. But... I think it loses a bit of the spontaneity. Yeah, and like you can't people. pick up on like the cadence of the conversation exactly. either. Like you don't really know what yeah. context your words are going to be taken in. Hey, like okay, is that person saying that with uh, sarcastic lilt in their voice? Are they laughing when they saying that? Or are they dead serious? So, which you obviously you get through two people talking. Yeah. Um, so we were talking. We were talking about when we were getting ready to order our beverages about New Orleans and that. Um, you're you're hoping you're probably going down for yeah Halloween. I've I've uh, I've missed Mardi Gras a couple times but um, my yeah. friends who's like got a place down there 
we're gonna go for Halloween and do the whole voodoo mon- mausoleum yeah. Halloween yeah. creepy stuff. Will you? Do you think you'll do any performance? Oh, I, yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, I'm all about costumes and right. Life is a big put on. So, <laughs> well, so. I mean, it's my first time, so I don't really know what to expect. Sure. Well, New Orleans is kind of my take on it, at least, because New York is kind of the city where nobody notices anything that you do. Like, you know, oh, yeah, someone could that. be taking a huge dump on the street and people don't turn their head because they've seen it all. Yeah, I, yeah. And New Orleans to me is kind of like that, but turned on its side where basically. Everything is celebrated. Everything is okay. You know, like as long as you're not hurting anyone else, do what you want. Yeah, uh, which is kind of great. Uh, and it's funny because I know some people that are like, "Oh, well, you gotta, you know, I don't know if it's a place to bring kids." And I've seen kids there. I've seen, you know, all ages, all walks of life interacting, and it's fine. And it's just like, you know, this is how most of the world actually is. Right, I mean, obviously so. maybe don't bring them out to a bar after midnight, but right. it, it's a city, like, obviously right. people are going to have kids there. Well, in New Orleans has an open liquor lot. Oh, anyways. right, they're like one of, like, three places. Yeah. Like Key West and, and Vegas, I think. They're, they're uh, you know, they're alcohol-related violence is a lot lower. I mean, there there is still violence in New Orleans. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of painting it as like a as a Disneyland, but I, I think a lot of that has to do, like most of this country and most of the world, uh, class disparity. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of poverty and there's a lot of wealth and there's right. not a whole lot in between. And uh, like a lot of the rebuilding after Katrina is the affluent, you know, white areas, obviously, because exactly that's how it goes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so like my whole like crew that like loves that area is a very like queer, you know, group, and yeah. they always say it's like a very accepting sure. and like fun place to go. And there's lots of gay bars and stuff, which yeah. you know, Louisiana isn't. It's like in the deep south, you know. So like the, it's not like the rest of the state, I guess. It's yeah. sort of its own little enclave of culture within the rest of Louisiana. Oh, it definitely is. It's also, I feel like, are you are you from New England originally? Yes, yeah. So I feel like, and myself certainly included the way I was brought up, that we kind of have an image in our mind, preconceived idea of what the South is like. You know, and a lot of that is cor- correct, but there's also... I think there's a big difference between the southeast and the southwest. Yeah. And uh, the southeast scares me way more than the southwest. So, like, I've been to Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. Uh, I think, I don't think I've been to North Carolina. Um, and it just, I don't know, like, it's it scares me because, like, Whatever, like, you know, bigoted people or, like, you know, conservative Christianity is, like, taking a hold there. But, like, everyone, like, wants to approach you and, like, talk to you and, like, say good morning and ask you how you are. We're, like, I don't really want to say hi to anyone. I don't want to even talk to them. I don't want to talk about politics right. or anything. I'm, like, right. but, like, they, like, are so nice and just, like, invade your space and, right. like, have to be, like, friendly to you. And it's, like, I don't want to be your friend. Right. Just leave me alone. Well, well, so we're better off <laughs> alone. Like, come on. Just go away. It's funny because, you know, I grew up in New England as well, and I never thought of New England as a particularly cold or unfriendly place, but then I've done a lot of traveling in the U.S., and 
particularly in the South, people are very much, hey, how are you today? You know, how's your day? And it it, it can be jarring. And yeah. certainly if you're, you know, if you're someone who wants to be kind of left alone, it's, it can be difficult to get right. through and just like an obstacle course of people. Sure. Like yeah. as a woman, you get a lot of like, oh, hi, hon. And hey, sweetheart. And thanks, dear. And right. hi, dearie. And pumpkin. And it's right. like, just, ugh. Yeah. And it's, I mean... Again, going back to uh, being a, you know, upper middle class privileged white male, I don't have it. I don't have any personal experience with that. So it's easy for me to say, well, that's a cultural thing or that's yeah. this and that doesn't mean that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't affect my life. So I, I feel like I don't really have a right to weigh in on well you can't feel that way about that I mean because any person can feel however the world around them makes them feel so um, you've done a fair amount of travel though haven't you yeah Um, what um it's interesting I was looking at your website today and uh so you list yourself as a filmmaker performance artist and an ex-painter yep that's right so what so when did you become an ex when did the painting art become an ex well um so painting was like my main artistic outlet pretty much my whole life growing up I did yeah. like oil painting classes um well I mean that's not true I did theater as well but yeah. uh I painted up like like regularly up until about probably like 2015 and I don't know. I had, I like went through a breakup. I like moved out of my apartment. I just felt like I like was just going through a lot of life changes, yeah. and I felt I don't know just tied to the past and like things I had been doing, and I destroyed a lot of my artwork actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to like physically remove myself from it. I, I do that a lot. Like I'll change my appearance. I'll dye my hair. I'll do like a new style, um, just to like usher in a new era. Okay. So, it started, like, internally that I just didn't want to paint anymore, Mm -hmm. and then it grew into, um, actually, like, actively pursuing some of these other things that I have been interested in a long time, but never, you know, devoted towards, so filmmaking and, um, and other stuff like that. Did you, had you, like, did you go to school for filmmaking, or is it? No, no, not at all. I'm completely self-taught. Yeah. I um, it's interesting because I, I there's a I watched the video that you did for Chelsea Paulini. Oh yeah, uh, and there's a it's got kind of a almost a noir feel to it. But it's I mean it's a beautiful video. Um, how long ago did you make that? Earlier this year? Yeah, that I did that in um, April ish. Okay, and so. Because there's there's a few different layers on, and particularly for um, kind of a, a, a local localish artist. I mean, I know Chelsea has toured regionally, um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of production value in. Video, oh, thank which you. you don't see necessarily in, you know, because uh, I would imagine it was fairly low budget. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, there's a lot visually going on. Yeah, there. thanks. I mean, I definitely um, have 
I, I approach it like I used to approach painting. Okay. Where it's it's a very personal thing for me, but I also approach it extremely visually, um, and I'm much more interested in the aesthetic of things than I am about storytelling, sure. which is like important too. But uh, I. Um, I, I want like my artistic hand on every part of it, so I do the filming, I direct it, I edit it, I make all the costumes, I do all the lighting oh, wow. myself. Yeah. Um, it's it's a completely handmade thing that I do. So, um, and I I'm lucky because I have access to a three-story barn that I use as my my studio to shoot in. Okay. And I have uh, one of the the floors is uh, completely blacked it out, so. One of my, I think, maybe like signature styles is just shooting um, on a completely black background and then superimposing images, right. almost like a double exposure. Right. I, um, I get a lot of inspiration from old like movies and filmmaking techniques. Yeah. And I, I actually want it to look kind of low budget and retro in a way. I'm not, I don't want it to look um, like fake or, like, or false, I want people to always be aware of the fact that they're watching something manufactured. Sure, so sure. It gives it this dreamy kind of quality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in that video, there's the, the coins that are over the image for a lot of it. Um, so, so when Chelsea's performing and also standing, that was just filmed on the, on the all-black stage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I use different colored lights, and you know, in post production too, I you know uh, shift levels, and, and yeah. yeah. Um, now you so you you work with Chelsea. You've also worked with her sister Sam, mm -hmm. uh, both of whom I've had on this podcast. And, yeah. Um, so I would imagine with the Paulinas, you have you you. You probably have a bit of shorthand as far, and, and I, I would imagine there's a fair amount of trust that goes both ways with them. But did, so when you had the idea for the video, did you come to Chelsea and say, "Hey, this is I want, this is what I want to do"? I mean, did you, do you storyboard, or do you have the um, idea all in your head? Yeah. So Chelsea approached me to do a video, and so she threw me a couple different tracks, you know, to see what I would be interested in doing, okay. and. Um, I picked that one because it, you know, my aesthetic, I, I love, uh, like, decadence and glamour and, and right. almost tacky, kitschy stuff. Right. So I thought, you know, I could pair that with money and, like, fancy stuff pretty well. Right. And my original idea was I had, a like, an old-time safe that was going to open up and Chelsea was going to be inside singing and it was going to be, like, a miniature stage type thing. Sort of like... So it's a good size yeah, safe. Yeah. Well, it was a smaller one. Okay. Um, but that's another thing I like to do is shoot miniature stuff and then blow it up and superimpose. To give it oh, so you would like do a couple images, like do yeah. performance capture Chelsea and put it inside. Yeah, almost like claymation, except instead of animating it, I just use live action right. and make it over. But it gives it that kind of dreamy, weird quality. Sure. Not really sure what size anything is, or you know, if it's real. So, what made you decide to not ultimately do that for this? Um, it just went in a different direction, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and I I storyboard out some specific images, but mm -hmm. a lot of it just comes out in the filming process. Sure, some things seem to work, or the person might have an idea, or some stuff spontaneous. So I just kind of let it go, and then yeah. I like a collage almost just put it all together at the yeah. end 
it's it's funny because uh, you know doing doing visual art myself, I hate being asked like it's particularly like. So why did you choose this? I'm like I don't. I don't know. I did. Yeah. I, that's I, that's that's the feeling I had when I was working on that particular part of it and it either worked or it didn't and you know I tried, did my best to kind of fudge it and make it look alright so yeah I, it's funny um, the cutting room floor is really is full of all sorts of crap that never made oh, yeah, it I mean, for sure. most of it doesn't ever get used yeah well it's like uh, someone once described filmmaking as when you're shooting it's like going to the grocery store gathering your ingredients and then the editing is the actual cooking of the oh, meal totally yeah. this stuff can go so many ways when you're editing I mean excuse me I've dabbled in filmmaking I made I made a 45 minute film about 10 years ago and we shot for a couple weeks but I spent hundreds of hours with somebody else with an editor editing it and like going through different takes and stuff like that and that's yeah that's a far more grueling process than any of the shooting ever at least that's been my experience same same um but I love that part of it yeah it's it's the hand making part sure that's the essence of the movie is really the editing yeah um did you when you were painting like had you already started doing performance art yeah so I I mean I did theater really my whole life um you know school plays and then I also did a lot of theater camps I did shows at where'd you go to school um, so I went to Rye Junior High. Okay. Um, I went to Portsmouth High School for almost a year. Um, I went to a private high school, and then okay. I also homeschooled myself okay. with a tutor. So, and then I went to art school. Then I went to SNHU. Then I went to UNH. So I've been to a lot of different public, private, yeah. high school, college, community college. So I've really done it all. Um, but I did, you know, shows at Seacoast Rep. I did shows at the Music Hall. So I, theater and theatricality has always been a big part of my life. Yeah. And um, my family also growing up, we did colonial reenacting. Really? So I'm living... Around here? Um, all over New England. Yeah. You know, Fort Ticonderoga in New York. Mm. Fort Number 4. Um, all the rendezvous and... Fourth of July Revolution stuff. It's how how'd your family get into that? Do you know? um, well, my dad was a big history buff okay. and owned an Army Navy store, and um, I think we first discovered it at the Independence uh, Museum in Exeter. We were there for like a Fourth of July thing, and we saw you know the encampment, and we just yeah. were like, "Hey, where do we sign up?" And then yeah. it was like a family thing we did after that. So it was uh, it was really interesting um, growing up in the colonial past, and now I'm in sort of the far flung neon right. future. Yeah. Um, but that definitely started me off, I think, on like costume and performance, and, yeah. and life is like something more than just I don't know boring day to day stuff. Yeah. I think it's important to I don't know manufacture your life. Sure. And like there's a um, there's a you know a, a saying like every frame of painting about you know filmmaking where every shot has to be you know composed well and, and tell a story but I I think life should be like that like every frame of your life should be a painting I yeah. mean put on those costumes and like do weird stuff right. and and you know drama it's, right. you only got it one 
right. one time. As far as we know. As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't personally believe in an afterlife, but I, I haven't ruled out reincarnation. Or, yeah. I mean, if reincarnation is real, it's already happening. Time is an illusion. So oh, yeah, the idea that sure. we'd come back as something else is just would be a different part. Yeah. But I agree. I mean, I, I don't have any supposition that there's anything more than this. So, my God, I'm going out with a bang. <laughs> um. But to see for your original question with the performance art stuff, yeah. I, I've always done performance in theater and um, I just stopped eventually doing other people's shows and just sort of doing my own ideas. Was that around the same time that you stopped doing paintings? Or? Um, I started doing like my performance art, you know, it overlapped with painting for a few years. Yeah. I did it here and there, but not so much. So, for someone listening who has never seen performance art mm -hmm. or maybe has a preconceived idea, and obviously each performance is going to be specific to each performer, but describe one of your performances. Like, how would you describe sure. it? Sure. Well, I think it has a sort of stigma about being super pretentious bullshit. Right. Um, which is true. Right. And I completely agree with that. Um, but it can be fun as oh, well. absolutely. And I, I don't, I don't um, presume other people to think that it's super important. Everything I do is really tongue-in-cheek and right. supposed to be kind of stupid and, and fun. It's yeah. really just about having fun, mm -hmm. you know. I think people look into it too much, so... One performance I did was called um, State of the Nation, so it was a sort of my personal... Was it the one in Exeter Town? Yeah, it was a riff on the State of the Union address, and I, um, I made a bed at Exeter Town Hall with a birthday cake for a pillow, yeah. and I just kind of slept with my face in this cake. Was it an actual cake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a vegan cake I made yeah. myself. Yeah. And uh, that was it. How, how long did you... Um, I think for like half an hour. Yeah. Did so, you have a lot of people, like, were people trying to interact with you at all? Or? No, no. I mean, I filmed it, so there is definitely a lot of, like, head scratching and, you know, people looking, being like, okay, is she going to do something? Right. Um, hopefully they got a kick out of it. Which or is, got really angry and was like, this is crap. Either one's fine. I don't care. Either one is a is a reaction. Right. Which is I think ultimately what most artists want. Yeah. Whether it's positive, negative, it spurns a conversation or you know. I I try and be a little bit more um, sort of like shocking and, and interactive now. So I did a um, a Dr. Quackensaw performance. Dr. Quackensaw is one of my recurring like characters that I use. Just sort of this crazed surgeon. Yeah. And so my friend has a club night in Boston um, called Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so in the 
in the middle of like the you know the dance floor or whatever I got up on stage and uh, I had implanted a bunch of stuffed animals with like balloons of fake blood and and organs and stuff right. so I was just doing like surgery on these stuffed animals and like blood was like spurting out and I was ripping out spines and yeah. you know beating hearts and cutting off heads yeah. and uh, you know just throwing them in the trash after yeah. and people were getting panic attacks and apparently had to like some people had to leave really so it was like freaky um, even though they were stuffed animals you're right yeah but you know it's funny and I, I did another performance earlier this year called Hamlet which was um, I did the same thing I got a bunch of stuffed animal pigs yeah. just filled them with blood and I started you know the soliloquy you know uh, to be or not to be and then uh, just a bunch of psychedelic lights came on and I sword fought all these pigs and you know blood was gushing out right Right. Um. It, the, the, it was the the full title was um, a slice of Hamlet, something rotten. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Did you did you make the blood yourself? Um, it was uh, pre like how pre manufactured. Right. right. Blood, okay. Yeah. Let's see. So for, when I was talking about doing a film earlier, it was it was a vampire film. So we we had to, we made our own blood. Uh, that's uh, that, that was a learning process for sure. So yeah. Um, so when you so like a performance like that, once you're done, where you're out in the open in the center of the dance floor. It's not like you're doing a stage show where you can go behind the curtain and then come out, take your bows. So, I guess what's the what's the sort of like dismount from a performance? Of, you know, when you're done, how do you how do you signal that it's over? Well, um, I usually it usually ends with death. You know, it, the Doctor Quack, and so I think I. Um, I, I actually I cut my top off and gave the finger to the audience, and I walked off stage. Yep. And uh, like certainly a grand finale. Yeah, I think they got. I think they got the idea. It was yep. over. And then for Hamlet, I you know, I had a balloon actually in my chest that I you know stabbed myself and died. Yeah. And then I got up and left. Right. You know, I clean up. You just think about it later. Really. <laughs> Now just, I like an abrupt ending. Yeah. Like, all right, it's over. Everyone go home. Yeah, death is a pretty good signal that the performance is over. Um, for for these types of performances, do you? How much of the performance do you discuss with the with the space beforehand, if um, any? Yeah. So anytime that there's like liquid or any kind of mess or anything like that, I just want to make sure that they're aware of that and that um, I get approval. And I take precautions. I bring, you know, like a tarp to put down. I make sure that any sensitive electronic equipment is out of the way or covered. Um, I give them a general outline, but I don't go into too many details. Like, for Dr. Quackensaw, I, you know, was bringing a lot of weapons, I guess you could say, into this club. All these, like, saws and hammers and knives and stuff. I didn't necessarily tell anybody I was doing that, because... I figure it's easier to ask for forgiveness and permission. Sure, sure. I can understand how that might be a little um, frowned upon. Sure. But I had no problems with it, really. Right, right. How many people were in the audience? Um, I don't know, maybe 100, 50, 100, something. Um, has there, have you ever done a performance where afterwards you were told you couldn't come back? No. Good. No. 
I mean, it sounds like you have relationships with at least some of the places. That yeah, you oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you have, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you don't want to give away specifics, but do you have any performances planned coming up? I do, yeah. I actually, I had one planned for the 22nd this month, Yeah. Um, but I'm going to be in New York, so... Um, I'm not going to be able to do it, but um, it uh, it involves black lights and um, glow in the dark yarn and fluorescent paint. Yeah, I won't give too much away, but it'll it'll happen at a later sure. date. Um, for you, when you do particular performance, is it kind of a one and done thing? You don't repeat yourself, or yeah. I mean, I know you said you're the Doctor Quacken. Doctor Quacken saw, yeah. It, that's a recurring character, but yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's different things that you do. Yeah, in general, I like to keep stuff fresh. Yeah. Um, I don't really like to redo the same thing yeah. or revisit the same stuff. Where and again. I hate even asking this because I hate this question myself, but where do you get inspiration for, for your performance? Um, well, I, a lot of places. I So I like grew up really in love with Mystery Science Theater. Yep. So it like inculcated a, a love of trashy, bad, awkward, you know, productions, yep. whether that's on stage or on film. So part of it is as I'm trying to arouse like people's responses by being a little bit awkward and outrageous. Um, you know, some childhood trauma also, obviously, because I'm an artist. That's what art's for, is bringing sure. it all out of the closet. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I a lot of places. I mean, I my favorite my favorite work of art of all time. Um, of any medium is the original Broadway production of Sweeney Todd with Len Carew and Angela Lansbury it's absolutely amazing the movie is crap Um, the Tim Burton movie oh which is sad because I love Tim Burton and I love Sweeney Todd but it was just not it was just not good I had a I had a conversation with someone on my movie podcast about Tim Burton recently because I was trying to pinpoint what I thought because I, I I really love Tim Burton's aesthetic and loved a lot of his films, but I was like, I can't think of the last great film. I mean, Mars Attacks, I think, was his last like that was old really older style. Oh yeah, for sure. And then after sure. that, it was like Planet of the Planet Apes, Apes and kind of a, yeah, it sucked. Uh, I mean, I liked Sleepy Hollow, although that took itself a little bit too seriously. Yeah, I, that was okay. I like that one. Uh, and then some people will argue that Big Fish. It was great, but I, I and I like Big Fish, but it's even that was a little bit too sort of mainstream, uh, saccharine sweet storytelling for me. Yeah, saccharine, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, the Planet of the Apes, I think, is kind of the well, he's not an action director, I mean, he that's not where he shines, right? I mean, I, you could say Batman, I guess, sort of action movie, but yeah, that was really different. That wasn't like CGI. Thriller thing. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know how old you are, um, but I was, so I was fourteen in nineteen eighty nine when Tim Burton's Batman came out, and that as a kid, 
that blew my mind because, you know, up to that point, the only real live-action superhero film we had was Superman from 79 and 81. Chris Reeves. Yeah. yeah. And I liked them, but I had always liked darker aesthetic stuff anyways, and I was always a bigger Batman fan than Superman anyways. So I was excited for it. I liked it. It's funny because I go back and watch it now, and I'm just like, it's not really that dark. No, the the first one is not as good as the second one. I, I think, would agree. I, I think yeah. Batman Returns is better. And everyone's like, oh, the second one's too dark. It's too whatever. I'm like, oh no, it's perfect. It's, it's really, it's really more gothic. Tim Burton yeah. than the first. One. I think. Um, I mean, he had already kind of established his artistic voice, but I think, because Batman was really his mainstream breakthrough. Um, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice had done okay, but they weren't huge blockbusters. Batman was an enormous success. So I think after that, doing the sequel, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to... I'm not going to pull as many punches. I'm not going to compromise as much. Uh, I mean, case in point, the you know Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, Catwoman outfit, which is iconic now, but it was very much like this is weird. It looks like trash that she stitched together, which is exactly what it was. Right. But it, I mean, it looks amazing, and you know the Penguin. Nah, you know, it's this weird, mutt-covered guy who lives in the sewer. Right, now he's got, like, mutant flipper hands, you know, it just, it, he, yeah. I love the direction he took it in, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and Christopher Walken is great, as always, but, yeah, I, I don't know why, I mean, I'm not sure why Tim Burton's current output is the way it is, but also he's... He's got a career that's 30 plus sure. years old. So. And I think, you know, as you go, you know, on in your career, you get bigger budgets and you get more people involved, your actual oversight probably diminishes. And frankly, once you've established yourself as an auteur, I mean, not that you can do no wrong, but you, you don't really have to prove yourself anymore. You don't sure. really have, you can kind of phone it in and people will still hire you. Sure. I mean, everybody knows Alice in Wonderland was crap. Everybody yeah. knows everything he does now is kind of crap yeah. but that's not going to stop him well I also think artistically boundaries breed creativity where if you're given limitations uh, and you are a truly you know creative person you'll find ways to make it interesting within the parameters of that whereas someone he's someone who now is established they kind of give him free reign to just go off and quote unquote make a Tim Burton movie but with an unlimited budget and really kind of unchecked like you're not having to check in with the studio too much which is kind of yeah. schlocky and not in the good sense of the word films yeah I think I mean, that speaks to a general like trend in movie making mm. I think since the advent of when I think cheaper cameras and also cheaper special effects, mm. especially CGI, that um, it is so much easier now to, to make things that the effort required. I mean, people will still pay multi-million dollars for a special effects team to do like CGI backgrounds and stuff. But if all of that was put into, for instance, making a miniature set like in Edward Scissorhands or, you know, Claymation like in, you know, Beetlejuice, that, I mean, sure, it might look dated or 
you know, a little bit more artsy, but it, 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 I think it ages a lot better. I think it's much more oh, visually interesting. I think we're just so saturated with, like, all these unnecessary extra effects yeah. that, frankly, kind of draw it, like, down. Sure. Um, I mean... Dated effects don't really bother me, to be honest. I mean, the biggest example I would point out to people is Star Wars films. Yeah. And when George Lucas went and re-tinkered with them 20 years ago, watching those versions, now the CG... If you can find them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, the CG effects, because it's 20-year-old computer graphics, they look more dated than the practical effects from the 1970s. Right. But also, I, I think your eye... There, there, there's something between the eye and the mind that I think you kind of know for the most part when you're seeing something that's real, even if it's not... You you know, okay, this is not a monster, it, but it's something tactile that was created yeah. as opposed to something that was created in the computer. Yeah, we get, I think, more of a a response from even like an uncanny valley type effect than we do from a super sleek you know CGI thing even if it looks fake if it's off-putting or jarring I think that's more visually interesting for sure for sure I mean I still love you know, the, the original, the black and white King Kong absolutely doesn't look like a real giant ape, you know. No, it, but it looks like a film. It looks like a, a work of art. Exactly. Exactly. The same thing with, uh, you know, James Whale's Frankenstein, the castle. Um, you know, I absolutely believe they're in a castle, even though it's, you know, I know it's a set. Yeah. But if they were to make that movie today, it would be this huge, elaborate CG sure. castle. I mean, even like the original Dr. Caligari, you know, the the German expressionist one, where they have all these, like, obviously hand-painted backgrounds and impossible, you know, angles and stuff. It just looks beautiful. It doesn't look real, but it looks enthralling, it draws you in, even yeah. though you know you don't have to suspend your disbelief really. For sure, for sure. I knew him. But I didn't <laughs> make a new friend. Not wearing my glasses. Yeah. Hi everyone. <laughs> she's she's waving to, to no one in particular, just just the room in general. Um, so do you have any other do you have any upcoming filmmaking projects that you can talk about yeah so I'm I'm doing another video for Chelsea okay. right now um, I'm also going to uh, Camp John Waters this weekend I saw that yeah so, tell so, me about that so another one of my recurring characters is named Jessica Jessica mm -hmm. and she's just like a stupid bitchy dumb valley girl diet obsessed shallow um, sort of person yeah so uh and she she does a lot of like interviews sort of jiminy glick type you know sure. put on so it's like oh you know she has this she so she has this uh this diet guru who's named deepak oz so it's you know sort of a portmanteau of deepak chopra and dr oz yeah so uh the idea is that jessica jessica is going to be on her way to uh deepak oz's diet retreat and takes a wrong turn and ends up at Camp John Waters, nice. where 
everybody is bloated and weird and you know right she doesn't know what's going on yeah so I'm gonna bring my a camera and sort of film that and just kind of see what happens nice I'm sure there'll be plenty of weirdos there who would love to help me out so Camton Waters is that a is that like a celebration of all things John Waters or is just, will will the man yeah, so um, last year was the, the first year, and it was apparently so popular that they brought it back. I unfortunately missed it last year. But uh, John Waters is there, and um, it's, uh, it's a three-day event, and it, they, they sort of mix, like, normal camp activities with John Waters-themed stuff. Mm. So, like, for instance, instead of, like, in arts and crafts, you know, you can make, like, friendship bracelets. They had, like, hate ship bracelet-making class. They have like a John Waters costume contest. They do yeah. John Waters trivia um, and general, you know, tomfoolery, shenanigans, right. Right. shit eating. I'm yeah. sure we'll go on. Uh, is it uh, like is it? It's because it's for us a couple days, right? Yeah, it's all weekend. Yeah, it's Friday night through Sunday. Is it an overnight? Like, are there accommodations? For oh Friday? yeah, yeah. So I have a cabin. You know, they have like a meal plan and everything, and uh, it's at um, I think it's called like Club Getaway. It's in Connecticut, so it's an actual like permanent, you know, established camp. Yeah, I think people usually use it for retreats and stuff. But uh, gotcha. For the time being, turned into the filthiest place in the world. Right. Right. Pretty I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. I do have um, a costume plan for the costume contest, which I hope will be shocking enough to get me at least do in the top talk three. About it or is it oh, a I'll let people find out for themselves okay. what I'm going to do. Um, so, what's what's your favorite John Waters film? Um, I personally am a huge fan of. It's a toss-up between Female Trouble and Desperate Living. Okay. I think Desperate Living is a really awesome and well-made movie. It doesn't have Divine in it. It's one of the few John Waters movies that doesn't have Divine. Right. Um, while, while Divine was living. Yeah, yeah. And Female Trouble is just, it's great. It's, you know, Don Davenport, life of crime from teenage delinquent to yeah. execution chair. Yeah. And everything in between. So, it was definitely one of those. I... <laughs> Cry Baby is one of those movies that's been forever just ingrained because I I worked so many retail jobs yeah. that that was on in the break room because for some reason I think it was Comedy Central really it. yeah uh, which it was one of those things that you know because people would see Johnny Depp and that be like oh cool there's a Johnny Depp movie yeah. on and it, and this wasn't during its kind of original it's I'm talking in the last fifteen years or so. And then watching people start to pay attention, and you know, and most of the time, these I are, wait a minute, like, what's going on here? Like, what movie is this? I'm like, oh, it's Cry Baby. Like, I've never heard of this. I'm like, that that, that doesn't surprise me. But yeah, it's sort of uh, so that kind of has a subversive place in my heart. Uh, even though I know it's not his most subversive film, I think it was. The right time and place where it was it was after the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie had kind of pushed Johnny Depp all the way into the mainstream. Everyone knew who he was. He was a bona fide movie star, but you know, he's done a lot of weird shit in his life. Yeah. So Yeah, I mean Tim Burton's early stuff, I mean yeah. he's highly overused in his stuff now, but right. I mean, Edward Scissorhands is yeah. brilliant. It was yeah. to- totally brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, he um 
Yeah, he been, how many films they've done together? But it's 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 too many at this point. All of them minus two, I think. Yeah, it's uh, but I mean, he's also used uh, Helena Bottom Carter yeah. quite a bit, which uh, we were talking about. You know, we mentioned Planet of the Apes uh, earlier, which I'm not a fan of. However, it's sort of a weird crossroads because that was the last movie that. Lisa Marie was in the oh, yeah, first that's right. with Helena Bottom Carter and that's sort of his because uh, you I, I saw you, you dressed up as Lisa Marie's character from Mars Attacks oh yeah. yeah fantastic costume yeah it was my, my it's been my dream costume for ever it yeah. ter- terrified me as a kid yeah and uh, that terror has like grown into absolute fascination yeah. and, and adoration of it so. what about it terrified you as a kid well, I can't. I can't explain exactly. I do remember in preschool, they showed us. I was like, I don't know, five maybe. They showed us ET mm-hmm. right before nap time, and it, you know, haunted me for years. So That's I a think tough movie for kids. It was, you know, and like the opening scenes where it's like abandoned in the woods, and it's this horrible creature from space. Right. And it was just weird. So. That, like, predisposed me to feeling kind of weird about aliens. And then uh, in 1996, I went to see, I think it was Space Jam, and there was a preview for Mars Attacks. And I was, this was, like, one year after Toy Story came out, so I wasn't used to seeing CGI. Right. So, like, the like the aliens and that were just, just terrifying to, right. for me to look at. Little young me who already had a thing for aliens. Well, and the aliens in that are basically... Skulls with bulging eyeballs yeah, and exposed horri- they're brains. Horrifying. I didn't. I had no idea it was a comedy. Right. I was just like terrified. And then, you know, over the years, it just it grew into like. I don't know. I'm like, good show, Tim Burton. Like, thank you for scaring the shit out of me because right. everybody needs that. Right. You know, childhood haunt. Yeah. So, would you, is Mars Attacks your favorite Tim Burton film? Yeah, I don't think it's his best film, right? But it's my favorite, and it's just so mean, like oh, yeah. it just killing everyone. I love it. Yeah. It's a little dumb. It could have been darker, honestly. Right. I think it would have been better, a little bit darker. But well, I, I again, I think he because it's actually based on a trading card. Right. Series. Yeah, the tops bubblegum yeah. cards. And I think there were certain things that tops were like, you can do this, you can't do this. So yeah, I think that had something to do with the tone as well. But and that was I just remember when I first saw it, just going, this movie is stupid, especially. You know, because he had done the two Batman movies, and right. I forget, he had done one or two other movies. It's like, he actually did an Ed Wood movie yep. right before. Oh, Ed Wood was before yeah, Mars so Attacks. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense that he follows up with his own, like, B-movie. Right, yeah, because, I mean, and Ed Wood, even though it's about, you know, the quote-unquote the worst director of all time, although I really enjoy a lot of Ed Me Wood's too. films. Me too, me um, too. He was a drunk, yeah, I mean, you know... It, it, it won an Oscar. Uh, it, it was nominated for several Oscars. It was quote unquote a serious movie about a ridiculous, you know, person. Uh, so then he kind of the pendulum swung the other way, and he made Mars Attacks right after that. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so you're, you're you're doing that at the end of the month. You're hoping to be in New Orleans in October. Yeah, for Halloween. Do you have anything else planned for the rest of the year? Yeah. Well, um, so I've had a, a move to New York um, in the works 
this year. I was to the city. Yeah, I was supposed to be there earlier um, this year. My friend was sort of taking over the house. His grandfather uh, passed away, and so he was going to sort of inherit part of this house. Um, there's been some complications with that, so I'm still here. But uh, I was in the New York Pride Parade earlier this year okay. on um, the House of Yes float. I don't know if you're familiar with House of Yes. No. It's the best place in the world. Uh, they're really like, they're like the new Studio 54. Okay. They're in Brooklyn. They're a nightclub, but it's really just absolutely amazing. Their whole shtick is they do like aerialist stuff, like over the crowd. And really? they have all these awesome themed parties. You know, they have go-go dancers. Mm-hmm. And I've, um, I have some friends that work there. You've so, done some go-go dancing. Yeah, well, yeah. So I've I've been in there and I've danced there and you know I like to skip the line and get in for free and right. so I was I was on their um, float in the New York parade and I um, I have some tentative plans to do some stuff in November in New York but really I want to like I just want to get I want to get there and start doing my stuff there. Yeah, it's, it's just the best place in the world. I'm so. Do you want to? So do you want to? You want to live in New York? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Fuck New Hampshire. I mean, sorry for anyone who's listening that loves this state, but it's boring. There's no art here. There's no culture. There's no nightlife. There's no queer people. There's no fashion. It's just. I'm ready to leave. I've been ready to leave for a long time, honestly. But um, well, and if you lived here your entire life, yeah, that's one thing I say. I mean, I left. Went to went to. Arizona for four years, but I just think it's important anyone, if you were if as an adult here living in the place that you lived in as a child, you gotta get out, you gotta go yeah. somewhere else. Even if you end up coming back, right. you have to expand you know, your horizons and see life, really. Well, but yeah, my biggest thing is I hear people, I mean, I you know, I hear, not just in New Hampshire, because I, like I said, I've traveled the U.S. and you know, different parts of the world, but it's primarily a U.S. mentality of, you know, New Hampshire's best place in the world. I'm like, oh, cool, where else have you lived? Oh, never lived anywhere else. I'm like, so just by the very nature of that, you you can't say that. You you don't have an educated right. opinion on that. It's, you know. Also, I mean, just because it's the best place in the world, you can still leave right. and see other places. Right. You can come back here. For it's sure. not going anywhere. Yeah. It's funny because it really took, it took me leaving New Hampshire to kind of fall back in love with a lot of this stuff. Sure, yeah. But I'm now getting that have wanderlust the itch to, to leave again. And so. I, I imagine it's the same from the city perspective. If you grow up in the city, you know, to go someplace rural or small town or, yep. you know, someplace. City mouse, country mouse. Yeah, and then, you know, you figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on total team city. I want nightlife. I want sidewalks. I want, like you were saying before, you can walk down the street wearing the most ridiculous outfit and nobody cares. Right, right. Because they've already seen a hundred or crazier people than right. you, right. and nobody wants to talk to you because you're probably crazy. They're probably crazy. It's funny. I was talking to to my sister-in-law. My my older brother lives in England, and he has five kids. So my sister-in-law, his wife, <coughs> and my oldest niece were visiting last month, and I took them into Boston to go to a concert. Um, my my niece wanted to see this concert and so I, I was walking around with my sister-in-law while my niece was in the concert and you know, my sister-in-law was talking about how she has no desire to ever live in a city and I said I said you know 
part of me totally understands that because it doesn't seem comfortable to me. But then the part of me who, as an artist, tries to challenge myself, like, I, I spent most of my, my adult life trying to avoid stuff that made me uncomfortable. And I'm like, no, that's that's how we grow, is right. the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. So I'm like, I'd really like to, in the next 15 years or so, at least live a couple years in the city, because I've never done that, you know? And, I mean, I lived in Manchester, New Hampshire, for six months, but that's not a yeah, real me too. city. Oh, really? Well, it's a year, but yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, right, when you hear people like, oh, like, Adam Sandler and Sarah Silverman are from the same small town. And you're like, oh, but that's the biggest city in my state. Yeah, biggest city. But that's like small town area to anyone else. Well, that's the thing, too, is I was like, yes, Manchester is the biggest city in New Hampshire. There's no skyscrapers in Manchester. I mean, I think the the biggest buildings may be like 12 or 14 stories tall. It's, you know, that wouldn't even be a blip on New York or even Boston. I mean, there are counties in New York that have 10 times as many people. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, as our entire state. Yeah. Although it's interesting because I, I was, last night I was having a conversation with my mom and stepdad about the fact that even though Maine is like two and a half times the size of New Hampshire, we have about five times as many people in New Hampshire as Maine. Like, New Hampshire's fairly rural, but. New England in general is even rural, more empty. Yeah, yeah but we we were closer to Boston. I think there's more for sure, like settlement. But yeah, most of I mean Maine, even like northern New Hampshire, it's empty. it's empty. Yeah. yeah. You just picture everybody with the you know their shotgun on their porch right. and their no trespassing signs, which I think is funny because anytime you see those like don't tread on me flags or like no trespassing warning guard dogs right. it's always some like run down like dirty like mud hut and you're like I, yeah you're like I wasn't gonna go there anyway okay like don't flatter yourself yeah, your decorating keep, skills keep, like wow keep out oh please oh no I really wanted to come visit you over here guess I changed my plans well um Thanks for sitting and talking to me. That was my uh, pleasure. Thank you. I hope you have an awesome time at uh, Camp John Waters. I'm sure it'll be interesting at the very least. And I, I, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure I'm going to see pictures from your visit in New Orleans. Um, Absolutely. That'll, I, I think every American needs to go to New Orleans at some point, so just to experience it. It's so, my, my great pilgrimage. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's one of the great... American cities, and it's just, and it's also, it's like no other city in this country. It's, it has a very kind of European sensibility yeah. to it. So, and it's, I mean, I imagine, you know, a hundred years ago, a lot of cities were like that, and uh, it's just, it's been untouched for good and for bad the least amount in the last oh, totally century. So, I, it's, I think of it kind of a little bit like Quebec. You know, you have like, you know, the French sort of insular culture that, you know, hasn't changed, but then you've also got, like, the boroughs, you know, type beat poet and then just the general southern, I don't know. I don't know what to expect, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think you'll have a good time. Awesome. Well, thanks for chatting. Thank you.